Sure. I usually say the number one mistake that people make when they reach out to agents is you gotta you have you just have to remember that agents are really really busy just like everyone else and yeah. if you send them yeah. a book to read you know over email and they're in they're in the gauntlet zone of like grinding and like a, a long day or on a conference call you just have to think about it from their perspective mm-hmm. you don't you may not have any interest from like a record label or a manager yet but maybe you're drawing tickets yeah. right that's where i would say just reach yeah. out to them you know some yes like a lot of them won't respond of course but like some of the best emails i've ever seen have been like hey daniel uh i love your roster um we sound a lot like grandson uh we just sold out our hometown here's our upcoming demo that's not released yet i don't really need to know that yeah. much more from you know, this episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book third edition is out now everywhere all formats audio uh, physical hardcover, ebook, however you do the book thing, you can find it. Uh, today, my guest is Daniel McCartney. He is a booking agent at UTA. Uh, his artists include Grandson and Mothica, who is also on the show, Modson, uh, many others. He's also the founder of Outlast Records, uh, which is a record label, uh, an imprint of Sumerian records and he's also the co-founder of the continuance foundation which is a uh their their tagline is well they say they're uh provide community resources counseling coaching and education for musicians and the music industry to improve their mental health and that's what we kind of got started discussing for a little bit today um you know mental health is so crucial and important in the industry and i don't think we talk about it enough So I'm always looking for people that are specializing in this, that are focusing on it, that are providing resources to the industry at large. And I think that's uh, really important and really crucial. Um, And so I really appreciate what Daniel has been doing with the foundation. And uh, we talk all about the resources that they provide and how you can get access to them. It was a great conversation. Um, And then we also spent quite a bit of time on the state of the, the, the live music industry, the touring industry right now. We talk a lot about support tours and how to get on them, the ranges of what people are paying for supporters from all level, from clubs all the way up to arenas, um, you know, how to make money on the road. Um, Daniel breaks down a, a lot of different ways that artists are making money and and the difference between a losing tour and a winning tour. He talks all about that. He talks about, you know, what to do to make sure that your tours are profitable. And, and uh, he gives some really great practical advice. And we even talk about um, you know, how to break out of your hometown because, uh, Daniel, what was so cool is he started as a musician. And this is something that I, I really appreciate his musician's empathy and, uh, kind of where he came from as the guitarist. Um, he, he actually started as, uh, the guitarist of the metal core band Gideon. So many of you are 
probably familiar with Gideon. So he started as a guitarist of that band. Um, and now he is uh, an industry executive. Um, and a lot of the dis- stuff that we discussed, I put in the we put in the show notes. So a lot of the links to the resources and and all of that. Um, so check that out. You can find uh, Daniel McCartney and UTA and the Continuance Foundation um, on all the socials. He said they're very active. The Continuance Foundation on their social media. So definitely check them out. Their Instagram. Um, well, and Outlast Records, and and um, they're very active as well on their social media. So um, check them out on on the socials. Uh, you can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on Instagram and TikTok. We are on Threads and Twitter as well. I'm not really sure what's happening with Threads and Twitter these days. So uh, you know, you can find us there too. But we're most active on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, you can find me at Ari Herstan on Instagram. And uh, visit ariestake.com and get on the email list. That's where you're going to find the most up-to-date, relevant info that we send out there. Uh, But real quick, if you just pause this, hit the subscribe, hit the follow button. That would really, uh, that really helps if you want the show to follow, you know, pop up in your feed. Hit the subscribe, hit the follow button, and we'll show up there. And uh, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you listen to this. If it's on YouTube, click that thumbs up. Leave us a comment. I love reading those. And uh, stay in touch. All right, let's kick into the show. Daniel McCartney, welcome to the show. Man, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you today. You, you wear... Um, many different hats in the industry and uh i love that you started as an artist uh if i if i got this right you're you're the guitarist in uh the metalcore group gideon um you know Mm -hmm. it's kind of to to have that artist empathy and that artist perspective i think is so crucial and uh you know missing from a lot of industry people oftentimes and and like to have that empathy i think is really important um but also, uh, you know, as kind of a label founder and, of course, as a booking agent at, at uh, UTA, a, a massive booking agency, uh, repping some great clients. Um, but I, I do want to start off today by talking about um, something that I believe you started just a couple of years ago. And I'd love to hear the journey in starting uh, uh, the Continuance Foundation and kind of your focus on mental health, because I think it is something um, so needed in the industry and it's, you know, for some reason, the music industry seems that um, that we struggle with mental health uh, more than most other industries. At least that's my perception. Um, top to bottom, left to right, from you know the highest level executives down to the the artists. And you know we 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 often hear about the high profile artists um, that have you know cancel tours and they get a lot of the press because they're names that we know of and. Um, you know, a lot, you know, of course, Justin Bieber was like famously discussed having to cancel his tours and, uh, but, but artists of all levels have mentioned that, but what gets reported far less, I think is the industry executives, um, and everyone that works in the industry. And for some reason, our industry struggles with this so much. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you have been focusing on this and I'd love to hear your perspective on kind of, um, how you came to this and, and what you're working on. Yeah, man. Well, first off, thank you for having me. Um, You know, I always say like anyone that has the subject of mental health, you know, close to their heart, um, you kind of 
you know, I think that you kind of get into a zone where you're once you're once you're feeling better and, you know, you're in you're in a bit of a routine in the way that you're dealing with your mental health. You typically want to you typically want to talk about it. Right. And so these platforms are so, so, so important. Um, you know, the podcasting, the Instagram lives, like all this stuff. It might seem easy, but it's it's just so impactful. So thank you. Um, and yeah, look, being a, being an artist, yeah. uh, you know, it, it it was it still is probably my biggest pitch when I'm in in a room trying to sign a client. You know, is that I was able to, uh, you know, I toured full time and put out four records and um, toured internationally, domestically, and dealt with record labels and publishers and all this stuff and. Um, it's been really good experience. I think like, you know, a lot of artists would just want their team to not be robotic. Um, and I think that I, I was able to mm -hmm. kind of like bypass coming off of coming off as someone that is robotic or like a, no, you know, I mean, honestly, man, like there are a lot of agents that, you know, um, they're not going to do anything above what they're required and that's totally okay. As long as they're getting their job done. However, I'm, I'm, a um, you know, I'm a little different. I'm a little bit more hands-on. That comes from me kind of having a little bit more knowledge in some of the other spaces that aren't even necessarily the agents, um, you okay. know, what the agents are doing or the agent's responsibility. Um, so that's been great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I did found, uh, I'm the founder of a record label called Outlast Records, which is under Sumerian Music okay. Group. Um, you know, that's a bit of a passion project. Okay. And, and I've got a um, some really cool developmental acts on that. And then very, you know, all things mental health. Um, yeah, I speak, I speak at conferences. I do all the, you know, I do the Instagram, um, series. We do podcasting, we do all this different stuff. And, you know, all of it really comes down to the goal of, of, you know, uh, helping people and advocating for the mental health subject. Um, and also trying mm -hmm. to connect people to get them in with professionals if they need it. And if they just need support, yeah. you know, we're, we're very, very active on social networks. Um, so it's been fun, man. I mean, look, you know, I basically made this, this, this foundation as something that I kind of wish that I would have had when I was a musician. And mm -hmm. that's why it's almost been, you know, when people ask me, you know, how did you start it? I'm like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Just being honest. I just die. I just kind of yeah. jumped right in as someone who's like, all right, well, I know what my needs were and, um, you know, let's start there. You know what I mean? And yeah. we were able to kind of blossom it into a cool thing and do a lot of great work. So, um, I've, yeah. it's been, a, it's been a that's long great. journey, a fun one. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. And, and it's nice to hear your story and the journey. Um, so, um, uh, however you want to take this, but specifically, I'd like to know uh, if there are musicians or even industry executives or anyone working in the industry out there who are kind of interested in, in seeking out more resources or in need of more resources, whether that be, you know, uh, mental health professionals, you know, therapists um, or any anyone potentially even more serious. Uh, you mentioned that you provide some resources or anything like that. Uh, but even outside, um, you know, theoretically, the Continuance Foundation Network, uh, what do you recommend? Like if there are people listening right now, 
They're like, you know, I just don't know where to turn. I'm not really sure what to do. And maybe I can't afford a therapist or something because it'd be expensive. Like, what are the first steps and kind of like, what do you, what do you offer? Where do you, or how do you point people? And where do you point them? Well, look, I think it's a great question. And, and, and the first thing I would say is, you know, reach out for help, right? Like it's a, it's a simple thing, but also when I think us as people were kind of designed to be that if we can't handle something for ourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, if we can't handle something for ourselves, we think, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, I, I just don't know how to do this or whatever. But you got to remember that there are so many people that care about this subject and have the resources that they can plug you in yeah. with. Right. So even if it's down to like referrals or like, obviously, you know, uh, therapy is I, I live and die by it. I love it. I go once a week. Um, it saved my life for sure. Not everyone can afford therapy. It's not that simple. Sometimes um, some health yeah. insurance uh, providers don't cover therapy. However, there's a yeah. ton of great organizations that will refer you. You know, you got Backline, you've got Continuance, you got uh, Music Hairs. Um, there's a lot of really, really good organizations that they may not be able to just write a check for your therapy, but they might be able to get, you know, for example, um, Continuance Foundation, we have a partnership with BetterHelp. So no matter mm -hmm. what, um, we can get them plugged in with a certain amount months free of, of therapy. You know, we can't always just What's, be like, can you explain you what know, better help them. is? Yeah. Better help is like a, is a network that it's kind of like, I don't know if you've, you personally have ever gone through the process of like going into your health insurance provider and like going into the, the portal and looking for a therapist. It's really daunting. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it, yeah. it's, 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 there's nothing, nothing easy about it. And you literally just don't know what you're doing. You might as well just pick a name off of a list. BetterHelp is a more of a yeah. um, platform that that connects you. Uh, it's really, really user friendly. Um, and it's just a way more attainable platform and app. So um, we mm -hmm. partner with them and we're able to give, we're able to immediately get people into free therapy from the jump. And obviously we vet the therapists and we, you know, we know that they're um, fully capable of wow. doing their job. And um, yeah. So you just yeah. kind of never know how someone's going to be able to help, you know, right. and you got to ask when you're out yeah. in need, because literally there's not a single person on this planet mm -hmm. that hasn't gone through something or, you know, had their own, shit and needed someone else to help them. Right. So I think that that's a big part of it. Yes, absolutely. And that's, um, you know, you mentioned backline, which uh, we had Hillary Gleason from backline on the show uh, last year. And in music cares, uh, we've partnered with in the past. And they're a great organization that if people don't know about music cares, it's it's from uh, the recording academy, it's kind of a, uh, a an organization within the recording academy that um, provides um, financial assistance to musicians in need. And it can be anything from uh, medical bills. If there are medical bills, you can apply. And I've heard of people that, you know, uh, got into serious trouble and did not have health insurance and had tens of thousands of dollars of medical bills um, that Music Cares covered um, or, or anything. I mean, honestly, they're just there to help, which uh, financially, which is, which is a great resource. And I'm glad you brought them up. Um, and then similarly, Backline uh, sounds very similar to what you're doing in, in kind of providing 
um, resources in terms of like therapists or, um, you know, well, vetted therapists, which I think is really important. Um, and then you mentioned that you're, you've partnered with, with BetterHelp and also um, to help provide a free or discounted therapy. How, how do you go about that? Do you have grants or do you have uh, people that are um, kind of funding the, uh, this or are they donating their time or how does this work? Well, luckily, BetterHelp is a company that prioritize. they really are prioritizing, I think, giving quality therapy. So they, they just believe in our mission. And so most of the time what will happen is we'll get, you know, from the jump, you can usually get at least three months for free for the, for the musician. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing right. is, is not everyone wants to go to therapy permanently. I'm a, I'm a permanent therapy yeah. guy. Like I'll probably sure. have a therapist until the day I died. It works for me. Um, not everyone yeah. needs it that way though. So like I, three months is a good mm-hmm. time. I think too, if you're, you know, if you're grieving or you're going through something specific, um, yeah, I think it's a good kind of time period of, you know, you get, let's say you do four sessions a month, you know, you know, 12 sessions to really kind of dig deep. And if they need more, usually we can accommodate. Um, so that's been a really, yeah. I mean, that's been a, that's been a really great resource for us to have. Um, it's just been so, it's also very, very swift because that we literally just give them yeah. the code that we have. And, you know, if you're in a bad spot and you're asking for a therapist, you know, usually any type of effort that is required is kind of brutal. You know what I mean? Uh, It's it's kind of one of those things where, like, you're not really in a spot to to take on a bunch of, uh, you know, to do lists um, to be able to get that. So for us to be able to do it quickly and swiftly is is a big part of it, too. That's awesome. Well, that's great. Um, And for for those that are kind of um you know interested in taking advantage of of some of what you discussed um would it be just uh kind of how do they how do they go about this how do they find you how do they sign up for this well we're really good on our social networks our instagram is continue always um and we also have a submission form on our website okay. so both of them both we we have a small operation so both of them go to like three people that will definitely re- actually read it and mm-hmm. definitely respond. So, um, and then, cool. like I said, like just by following our social networks alone, there's so much great content. We do mindfulness Mondays. We do a conversations about mental health series. I'm always doing podcasts. We post all the mm-hmm. reels from there. You know, if I ever speak at an event, uh, it'll be on the, it, you know, the information yeah. will be on there. And we really just try to like cool. actually engage with the people who are following it. Great. Cool. And we'll put uh, links to all of that, what you discussed in, in the show notes so people can find it. Um, so, awesome. Um, I also want to talk about um, kind of your role as a booking agent. Um, you know, you, uh, you've you been a booking agent. How long have you been a uh, booking agent at UTA? So I started at UTA in, uh, eight years ago. Um, and I was, I think about wow. three of those years, I was an assistant and then got promoted, mm-hmm. had about, you know, two years of um, starting to build my roster. And then the pandemic happened and kind of threw it all for a whirl. But yeah, I've been at the company for eight years. Okay. 
Um, awesome. And I, and I read somewhere um, you're booking um, artists like Grandson, uh, Mothica, who was also on the on the podcast, um, and Modson. Um, now, I, I'm curious about when you, uh, I guess, I'd love to kind of talk about the state of uh, touring, where we're at right now. Um, you know, we are we are talking yeah. August 2023. Um, a lot has shifted, a lot has changed. Um, but if if you could kind of point out some of the biggest changes, um, I would say maybe since COVID, or or maybe everything's back to normal. So I I don't want to kind of guide you in any one direction, but I'm I'm curious what what your perception is of the state of the live music industry is right now. Yeah. So. It's a great question. So it's funny because like right when we touring came back after the pandemic, it was kind of a honeymoon phase, yeah. right? It was like, it was almost unrealistic. Like everything was just crushing. Like shows, we put a show on sale and it would just sell yeah. out like this. Tours were absolutely crushing. And that's because yeah. it was, everyone was pent up for years and it made total sense yes. from like a, you know, psychological aspect. It made total sense. Um, and then it kind of got, you know, pounded into the ground and it was a little too much. Right. Yep. And, and then tours were terrible for like four or five months. It was the, the, the touring economy was in a really bad spot. A lot of stuff wasn't selling. Mm. Festivals were being pulled down. Now I think we're at a spot where it's right. evened out. And, and I even think that this is probably one of the biggest years for touring in a, in a long time. I mean, you know, Drake and Taylor Swift obviously right. out right now is, I mean, it's literally boosting our economy. Um, so right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I think uh, I think now we're in a really good spot. You know, there's some changes. I think, like, I think, you know, we probably we're more equipped to deal with. Uh, you know, hopefully we don't ever have to deal with it again. But we're more equipped to deal with something like a pandemic. Yeah. Where, you know, um, I think the music industry has learned a lot from even um, you know talk about you know some of the things that can really affect touring as you know a pandemic. Um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, weather in some capacities, um, terrorism is, you know, obviously with like, you know, the Ariana Grande bombing, um, and, you know, sure. we've seen it in, obviously in, in other live events, um, uh, obviously with Eagles of Death Metal in Paris. And right. I think when these things happen, I, like, I feel like the music industry is doing their best to really bounce back from it. You know, I mean, the security is up mm -hmm. from, from a lot of those incidents, obviously um, clear bag policies are really, really important in arenas and stadiums. Um, so look, I think, I think, I'm, you know, I'm, it's been a long ride, but I'm grateful to now kind of be in a consistent spot. Um, it's just funny. My boss yeah. the other day was like, my boss was like, this is like the first time in your career that you've been, operating as an agent and not like extreme circumstances. <laughs> and I was like, that's so <laughs> oh, crazy. To think about. It's been like a pandemic. Yeah. And then, um, you yeah, know, uh, it, it's just, yeah, dude, it's been wild. Um, so, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to happy to be here. Yeah. So let's talk. Um, uh, I, I want to get in the weeds a little bit more. Um, you know, we had uh, Tom Windish on the show not too long ago, uh, who, of course, is Billie Eilish's agent and, and uh, very high up at Wasserman and has been in the industry for decades. And, um, you know, he spoke kind of more on that that um, higher level. Uh, you know, he, he books arenas and stadiums and stuff. Um, he also books some some clubs. And but 
Um, this was still like six months ago. And, and I'm curious from your perspective, working primarily with, you know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, kind of club level touring artists, um, what are you seeing in terms of, uh, guarantees versus, um, you know, ticket splits versus, uh, merch cuts, uh, you know, where, where's the revenue coming from right now? And has it, um, is it, is it, like, as you say, normal times? Is it is it normal? Are you seeing that uh, kind of just we're, uh, you know, people are, are attending shows uh, at the normal levels? And uh, step me through kind of all of that and how it's operating kind of on this uh, mid-level. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, most of my business is, you know, clubs, theaters, and ballrooms. So, you know, anywhere from 500 caps all the way up yeah. to 5,000. That's kind of my, that's kind of my niche. Right. And cool. I mean, yep. the, 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 the main source of income is coming from, you know, the box office, right. And, and selling tickets. So if you're selling tickets, you're, you know, uh, if you're, if you're doing, you know, 80 to hundred percent business in the rooms, um, you know, so if it's a thousand cap and you're doing at least 800 people to a thousand people, most of the time, everyone's making money in some capacity, you know, the box office definitely drives it. Um, the promoter is able to, you know, we always like make jokes about this because look, I mean, it's, you know, it's been hard for promoters to be able to keep their head above water post, uh, you know, pre and post pandemic. A lot of them didn't, you know, a lot yeah. of them had to sell and that's just what our timing, you know, that's, you know, um, the, the, unfortunately the cards that a lot of them were dealt. However, um, you know, the, I think the venues and the promoters and, uh, you know, the agents and, and the, the artists are all figuring out, um, a lot of ways to make money and, you know, VIP ticketing is really big, obviously for meet and greets and, um, uh, upscale mm -hmm. ex experiences. Um, you know, a lot of bands, the, the really, really smart ones, um, they will make an absolute career out of their merchandise, both online and physical. Um, I mean, I know artists yeah. who, you know, they'll, they'll literally break even on the guarantees. And then the, the merch is what, you know, sends them into like, you know, multi six figure net profit. So I think it's wow. kind of, you know, uh, every artist is different, but you know, I think the core of it is driven by box office and then the smart ones know how to build out the other mm -hmm. parts of their business. Like I said, VIP ticketing and merchandise and stuff like that. I, I love that you mentioned that. And I think it's so important. Um, you know, I think a lot of artists, managers, even agents obsess over um, the guarantees and, and you know, what they're going to be making from attendance in the door and all of that um, at, at every level. Um, so, you know, as an agent who doesn't, and correct me if I'm wrong, you don't participate in um, merch sales uh, or do you participate in VIP packages? We don't participate in merch. Um, the VIP is is a difficult question to answer because every situation is kind of different. Um, some VIP okay. situations, you know, require a ton of bandwidth from the agent based on what company they're using or if the artist yeah. is doing. If the artist wants to keep all of the revenue from a VIP company standpoint instead of giving you know yeah um whatever vip company their 20 or 25 percent or whatever they you know they negotiate um 
It depends. Yeah. Uh, I would say more often than not, I don't commission uh, the VIP stuff. Um, but uh, okay. I have, you know, because again, um, it depends on how much bandwidth it requires for me, you know? Sure. Now that makes sense. Um, who are some, you know, if there are some, uh, and, and I guess, when do VIP uh, companies and, and programs and packages come into play? You said you book rooms ranging from 500 to 5,000. Um, do you encourage your artists at every level to work a VIP program? Or are you only focusing on the ones that are kind of at that upper echelon? The short answer is I encourage everyone to do it because it just, it can make your, you can go from, you know, negative, uh, whatever on your budget to like walking away with a bunch of money just from doing it. Um, sure. and you know, it yeah. can really, really help you build a, a real career financially. Um, the only sense sure. usually when I would like would steer away from it would be, uh, this is a very specific example, but like, you know, if you're a really, really cool artist that like your fans are rooted in maybe like, I'll just use pigeons and planes, for example. Right. Uh, obviously it's such mm -hmm. a cool media outlet, news outlet, um, and brand, you know, it's not going to be advantageous for every artist in the world to do VIP meet and greets. Cause it may not be cool to their fans that they're doing the meet and greets and they might get some, mm. they might get almost like, some some uh backlash um yeah and, you know I, I i think which i think is you know i think it's kind of silly but you know yeah. if you if you want to pay to meet your you know idol or one of your favorite artists i think um you know the artist should get paid for doing that you know what i mean um so yeah it really depends um yeah but yeah. i think like you know um i would encourage from the club level all the way up you know, I mean, once you get into arenas and stuff, it's kind of hard to pull off. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, not every artist wants to do it at that point. But I think I think clubs yeah. all the way up to Boston, usually I'm, I'm encouraging it. Yeah, I encourage it, too. And, you know, I wrote a piece for Variety uh, a few months back when Matty Healy of the 1975 uh, shit on VIP uh, programs. Um, and, yeah. and I thought that was a very entitled position. Um, you know, they are touring arenas and they're extremely successful and extremely wealthy uh, and come from privilege uh, and come from wealth. Um, so, you know, I I've talked to a ton of indie touring bands. And like you just said today, you know, it can be the difference of a make or break financial tour. Uh, it can put you in the red or put you in the black with a program. You're profitable without a program. You lose money um, and can't tour. Um, and I think there's a way to do it that is. Um, that is respectful and i've seen in that not just respectful but in a way that it's not just like pay to meet your artists but artists that i've seen especially at the club level do it really well it's like you know you invite them to sound check and uh you you have first access to merch and you get you know uh in early and you get like a souvenir lanyard um and you do a q a and you have a special acoustic performance and like that absolutely to me seems completely worth it and doesn't seem like a money grab and it doesn't seem uh, like you're paying to meet them. It seems like you're paying artists for their time and, and you actually get like a, another performance and um, other kind of uh, special features and special uh, packages based on that. And so, you know, I, I think if there's hesitation from any artist or manager listening to this, 
it's like I, I think go for it and just do it in a way that makes sense for you and your fans. Um, you know, and don't maybe don't call it a meet and greet. <laughs> just call it, you know, call it something that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Call it a, you know, a, a VIP package or or whatever. Uh, but I think there's definitely a way to do it that um, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, look, dude, I mean, I'm a big um, 75 yeah. fan and I think Matt is obviously brilliant, but Me yeah, too. it's super easy to say it. It's easy to say at that level, right? I think um, it's all about how right. the artist really takes it by the, you know, takes takes the bull by the horns. Because look, you know, if I were a fan and I walked in and I, you know, I bought this extremely yeah. expensive meet and greet and someone walked up to me, you know, the singer said, hi, shakes my hand and then just pushes me and I got six seconds of his time. Yeah, sure. That's that's when right. it's ridiculous. <laughs> and um, that's when it's, yes. that's when it's, you know, that is taking advantage of your fans. But look, you know, yes, if you're a fan and you get to do the experience where you skip the line, you get a spe specific T-shirt that you can't even buy anywhere else. You get to watch them sound check. You get a, a photo with them like that's some of these people. These are like yeah. like once in a lifetime experiences for them. And yeah, I have no problem with my clients 100%. charging a premium for that. I just, you know, I think it's cool. Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that for me at this point is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. Yeah, 100%. No, I, I love that. And, and it's it's nice to hear that reinforced. And, and similarly, I'm a huge 1975 fan. Uh, and I got <laughs> so much backlash. I did not realize that their fan base was as hardcore as like the Swifties are. Because, man, did they pile on me on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, after that article came out <laughs> and I was like, guys, I'm not, I have nothing bad to say about the music. And honestly, like, I, you know, everything else Maddie does is like, I think it's real interesting and, and, uh, he's a brilliant, brilliant artist, but yes, it's, it's, uh, I think when we're talking, uh, you know, club level touring artists that are trying to survive on the road, I think that VIP needs to be part of the conversation. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, 100%. yeah. Um, cool. So, so moving on, um, you know, I'm I want to talk uh kind of support tours right now for for a little bit. Um and you know 
I find some of the best ways for artists to gain new fans, especially ones that are amazing live, of course, is to is to be a support act on a, a tour and kind of win their the headliners fans over. Um, how do you uh, approach, I would say, you know, on one end, getting your artists as support acts on tours, and then on the flip side, um, for your headlining artists, how, what's the process uh, of kind of getting the support acts for those tours as well? Well, the industry standard is that, you know, you book the tour and then you send out an email, you know, um, going to all the different companies saying, hey, we, you know, we're seeking support, you know, ideally someone worth 500 tickets, you know, here's our budget. Um, so no, you know, please submit, uh, you know, we're looking to bring this type of genre act or whatever. It, it's not always that simple, but that's kind of like the standard mm -hmm. I think for it. And then, you know, obviously there are a lot of teams sure. that they don't even send those emails. They keep it, they keep it, you know, within their camps cause they already know who they're going to take or whatever. Getting support tours is, mm -hmm. is a, it's a grind, dude. You know, I mean, uh, I always say once you become a headliner, <laughs> never look back, you know, um, when I was trying to kind of yeah. develop grandson into, you know, uh, I mean, we just finished up a tour for him and that did 55,000 tickets in North America. So it was really successful. And in order for us to get to that, you know, we, we knew that we needed to support and, um, it surely was the death of me, but we got, um, we got him imagine dragons. He did that in arenas. Um, we got him. Mm -hmm. uh, Avril Lavigne in arenas in Canada. And then I got them, um, bring me yeah. the horizon here, uh, in the U S and the next time wow. we went on the road, it was a clear return on investment. You know I mean? He didn't make much money on those mm -hmm. tours. You know, they weren't his, sure. you know, he wasn't having insane sets because again, there's, these are people that, you know, you have a small window to gain a fan, you know, and yeah. you're, you're trying to make, someone who's a big fan of bring me the horizon become a become a fan that yeah. actually goes and follows you on instagram maybe buys merch adds you know your your songs to the playlist their spotify playlist i mean you know um you have a small window to be able to do that and the good thing about it is is when you send a client yeah. out there that you know is just gonna like slam dunk it it's a good feeling because you can you can see it return for you pretty quickly Totally. Uh, that's a great case study and story. I, uh, let's talk about the financial aspect of it. Um, when you said that when they went out with these huge acts uh, and they didn't make much money on that, I mean, what is kind of, uh, why didn't they make much money? Is that just because, like, how does this work? And, and just for, you know, let's, let's break it down uh, for those that don't really know. Uh, what, are the, what are we seeing in terms of like, is there an industry standard for, uh, guarantees at various levels, like what are you seeing for support acts at, you know, club level, uh, theater level, ballroom level, arena level, all of that? Like, how does uh, how do the financials work typically and travel and lodging and all of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, look, look you know, uh, the short answer is that, you know, if you go on a tour like Imagine Dragon, um, who is just a massively yeah. successful artist and the agent is a very close yeah. friend of mine. She's amazing. Um, if you go out on a tour, I mean, Imagine Dragons doesn't need you to draw tickets for them. You know, it's, it's right. you know, you're in a situation there where, you know, you if you're Imagine Dragons, you just want to take someone that's cool. 
You know, you want to take someone that yep. you believe in, and maybe you want to co-sign or whatever the scenario is. Um, sure. Now, the le- you know, if you have some leverage and that you it, that you uh, are worth tickets, and you want to go on tour with someone who is worth more tickets, but maybe not a ton more than you, that's a different scenario. I mean, that's that's where you get into like really negotiating a good yeah. deal for the client, but. Look, on the big scale of, you, you know, if you're supporting, you know, these arena acts, I've had, you know, people support, you know, Fallout Boy, 21 Pilots, Blink-182, Imagine Dragons, you know, Avril Lavigne. I've had acts on all of those tours. And those those acts are career acts with really, really impressive careers um, who mm-hmm. they, you know, Certainly, they certainly don't mind someone drawing tickets, but they don't need them to most right. of them. So, right. um, you know, it's kind of about it's kind of I guess that's a long way of saying it's a little bit more about like the leverage that you have in that specific situation. You can certainly make a lot of money supporting, but um, in these specific situations, the tours were so big and established that, you know, we were we he wasn't going to make as much as if he just went out and headlined himself. So, uh, I, I love, you know, uh, if you can, if you can, you know, you don't got to give me the, the artist's name and the, the dollar amount, but I, I, I think it would be super helpful if there was a ballpark or a range, um, just so people understand what to expect. Like let's talk an arena tour, like you just mentioned of, of, you know, artists that don't need to, uh, sell tickets and the tour is going to sell out no matter what. Um, are we talking, 200 a night, 2000 a night to this opener, uh, zero a night. Like, I, I just don't have any, uh, I just love a, a range, a ballpark, something. Yeah. Uh, so the short answer is I, I will give you ballparks, but the short answer is something to factor here is, you know, how, how much can that headliner charge on their ticket price? Right. Because, you know, okay. if the average ticket buyer, the average ticket buyer for Imagine Dragons is probably a grown adult. Right. Like it's probably people, you know, late 20s plus, um, you know, we there we even saw a lot of like, you know, parents with their kids and they were both fans of the band. So um, they can charge a good premium for their tickets, you know, so something like that, you know, they're a little bit more generous and that you might get, you know, anywhere from five to 15 grand a night. um, If you have if you're an act that's established and drawing some tickets. but I've had yeah. artists tour, you know, in a, uh, do arena tours and make 500 a night, you know, and those are the more like, okay. oh, you're opening, you're the one of three, they took you as a favor because they like you, right? That's that kind yeah. of 500 to 1500 or $2,000 a night slot. Uh, but those direct support to, you know, the direct support tour um, situations yeah. where you're playing right before the headliner you know, um, in an arena, you know, I think you can expect anywhere from five to, to 15 grand per show. And then, um, yeah. you know, if you have a ton of leverage and you're a really, really hot act, that's a completely different scenario. You know, like if you're an act that's worth, yeah. you know, 5,000 tickets a night, but they just want to take you because they want to have an awesome show. I mean, they're going to pay, they're going to pay what that's worth. You know, that's where you get into sure. 30 to 50 to 75 grand per show. And that's, that also happens. Sure. Um, but that that's again, that's a different scenario. That's not the the textbook like, oh, I'm going to open for so and so, and I, you know, I'm as far as I know, right. I'm not worth tickets yet. You know. 
So let's talk about the the artists that let's say are not worth tickets, like you referenced. Uh, maybe at a club level or a theater level or something like that. Um, what are the scenarios and the deals that that you're seeing these these days? Um, I mean, you know, it's all about how resourceful you are. Like I've seen a lot of people, you know, yeah. I've seen artists never make it out of clubs and still have pretty successful careers. Yeah. There's not a lot of money in clubs yeah. regardless. You know, if you're headlining a club on a $20 ticket, if you're headlining a 500 cap, you know, you're going to make anywhere from three grand to 7,500 bucks. It's all math, you know, just depending on what your ticket yeah. prices are. Um, but, you know, it, that, and those are like, that's if you sell it out, right? Like a sellout offer is what we would call it. Um, but look, sure. if you do, you know, if you're, if you're drawing a strong 500 tickets and you can do, you know, a late 20s ticket price um, and, you know, you add merchandise and you add VIP. I mean, you can start to really dig your heels in and, and make a little bit of money, uh, but you got to be resourceful and not spend it all, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I think is something that a lot of artists yeah. struggle early on is like, you know, well, if I'm hiring a band early on, you know, the band, if the band isn't involved mm -hmm. as like part of the project, but is a hired band, that can be a little tough because, to the band, it's like, well, why would I cut you a discount when I can go play for so-and-so? I'm not going to reap the rewards of playing for little and then you blowing up. That doesn't help me because I'm just a hired gun. Whereas it's a little different if it's a right. band and every member is like invested in it long-term. It's, you know, you're obviously not going to yeah. get to the end of the tour and demand money. You know what I mean? So um, right. yeah. Yeah. every scenario is kind of different in that regard. And in terms of uh, support acts, uh, how does it work differently for a club level uh, support act who, let's say, um, is not worth tickets necessarily? Let's say it's a it's the the tour is going to sell out at the club level with the headliner. Uh, they need support. Um, how does that work typically? Um, so if it's not going to sell out at the club level usually I would encourage paying a little bit more money and getting someone who, you know, let's say you're in a 500 cap room on average and you yeah. don't know if it's going to sell out or not. If you have that intuition that it couldn't, yeah. um, I would say that's where you take a little bit less money as a headliner and invest that mm -hmm. into taking someone that's worth tickets and creating a big show. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the headline numbers that go into Polestar and all these systems are based on the headliner, right? So like if you bring someone out yeah. and they draw a hundred tickets a night, but you draw 400, um, that's a big W that's a great win, you know? Um, whereas yeah. if yeah. you draw, if you, you know, bring out someone who's worth five tickets and the tour does, you know, 300 tickets a night because it doesn't have a lot of buzz around it and the marketing's not there and multiple artists aren't marketing it. Sure. Um, you know, that, that could end up being counterproductive, even if you make more money. Yep. Yeah. So you're from the, uh, you grew up in the middle scene. Uh, I'm curious your perspective and your opinion on tour buy-ons. And for those of who are, who are not familiar with tour buy-ons, it is a very controversial practice of uh, headliners not paying their openers and support acts, but actually charging their openers and support acts for the opportunity to uh, open the tour and the opener, the money actually is flowing the other way where the, the opener has to pay the headliner, uh, you know, 
varies the amount, but they pay the headliner to open the tour. Now, I'm curious your opinion on that practice. I mean, it's not it's not a common practice. It's not it's not, you know, something that I would necessarily suggest. Um, yeah. I've seen it. I've seen artists buy onto tours and it completely return and be fantastic. And then I've seen artists buy onto tours and um, it was exactly what they expected and that the headliner didn't care about them as the artist because they were just the buy on band. I think a lot of that is rooted more in like why the headliner needs the buy on. If the headliner Mm. is just looking to make up for budget says, I don't give a fuck, pick somebody, just make them give you 25 grand and we're not paying them. They're going to treat you a little bit differently than someone sitting down and saying, Hey, well, you know, we need some help in some of these markets. Why don't we have this band buy on for 7,500 bucks and we'll take the 7,500 bucks and we'll juice it into marketing or whatever. So it's like, yeah, that's a little bit more advantageous for both people. And it's a little bit more artist friendly than just like writing a check. All that being said, yeah. You know, it, if you write a check early on in your career, it might open up some more doors. I mean, yeah. Do I think that that's ridiculous? Yeah, of course. But like, you know, if you have that funding and you come in and you, you write a check for an artist that you know you're going to gain fans from no, no matter what, more power to you, you know, mm-hmm. just don't complain if, 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 you know, the headliner is not, you know, doesn't become your best friend. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I you brought up a, a really good point of of um, how are they going to treat you? Um, I, I think that's that's really important for every artist. Uh, you know, personally, I um, am extremely against the practice of tour buy-ons um, only because I've heard so many horror stories, and I just I don't I just think it's it sets a bad precedent, and I I just think that you know. You, artists should be paid uh to to play not have to pay to play um and and i i understand it's it's gonna you know it's gonna be a personal business decision for anyone and like i get it when you say like you've seen some that return on that investment in merch sales or they gain a ton of fans and like totally that that you know but that's what every artist feels like it's gonna happen going into it now i've heard the horror stories of artists paying you know 10, 15, $20,000 for a tiny club level tour. Uh, and they are going on, you know, to five people in the room, right when doors open, they play for 20 minutes and they play to five people at night. And because the tour's not selling, the headliner can't sell tickets, but also no one's getting there early. And it's just like, it wasn't worth it. You know, famously, this was about 10 years ago, the story broke. Um, this Motley crew. Uh, this is widely reported. Motley Crue uh, charged their uh, openers a million dollars to open their entire arena tour. And they terrorized their openers the entire time. Not only did they make them go on before the doors open, start before the doors open, they had like the crew come out and and, uh, spray the openers with uh, super soakers full of urine. I'm not, I'm not making this shit up. Like this is, this is like reported, but like, you're exactly right. Like that's obviously the extreme, but like, you know, how are they going to treat you? Is like a really good point. It's just like, if they're if you're the headliners are looking at you as like the buy on band, then yeah, you're not going to get much respect. Um, and I would really caution any artist against uh, doing a tour buy in just for that 
case alone. And it, it seems like it's a shortcut and like, you know, God bless you if you got the funds and good for you that you have a ton of money in the bank that you can buy on a tour. But I would just say that that is a shortcut that doesn't tend to typically work out for the best, at least that I've seen in my experiences. Yeah, man, it, it, it's totally, I've seen, again, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen it, I've seen it be chopped up different ways and work. I've seen it been, be a disaster. You just kind of got to know, like, if yeah. you're going to do it, it, it's a serious risk, you know? Um, and it is not, yeah. it is not normal practice, you know? Yeah. And that's nice to hear from you saying it's not normal practice, um, you know, and I've seen people get creative and it's, you know, it's not hard and fast. Like I've seen, you know, openers that are going to jump in the bus uh, with the headliners and the headliners. Essentially, they're participating in some of the expenses up front. They're still getting paid uh, a guarantee to open the show per show but they're helping with some of the upfront expenses like a bus rental, like hotels, that kind of stuff. Uh, That to me seems okay because it's like, okay, we're all in this together here. You know, let me open the books to you and let me just show you what's going, you know, to happen, but you get a bunk, you get this. And then in that instance, that seems uh, far more okay to me than find your own transportation, your own lodging, and then pay us, you know, 10 grand. And then I was like, all right. Right. (laughs) hundred percent, dude. I've I've seen it be a little, you know, creative. And like I said, the digital marketing thing, I think is pretty cool. You know, if you're going to have an artist buy on and you're going to put it into actually putting more people in the room, that seems pretty ethical. Um, It's just, dude, every, every scenario is different, man. Yeah. Hundred percent. No, that's great. So, so uh, speak to the, the artists out there right now who, you know, maybe they are uh, local heroes and, and they can sell a few hundred tickets uh, in their local market, um, but maybe they haven't toured yet. They want to get on a tour. They don't know how to get support tours, but they can bring it live. They've proven that maybe they have, you know, some decent streaming numbers, but they really p- could not book a headlining tour right now. What, it, what do you recommend to those types of artists on how to get started touring? I mean, well, first off, I would say if you're in that spot, that's, a, you know, congrats. It's a great spot to be in. And, and, you know, a lot of a lot of artists, you know, they kick off their career as hometown heroes, you know. Um, yep. And then they start to move out, branch out, you know, 100 miles north, 100 miles wherever mm-hmm. you are geographically. Um, what I would say is keep building that hometown base. Um, when I was in a band, mm-hmm. um, you know, my thing was, is we would try to open up for all the real tours that were coming into town and make friends with the bands and just be really, um, be really, uh, genuine with them and, um, yeah. offer them a place to stay if necessary. I mean, um, we definitely did right. it. I think a good job when I was in a band of, of doing that and building that home base. And then, you know, at some point, um, as your team grows, you might want to get an agent, um, you might want, you know, you might need a manager, whatever that is. But if you're, if you're starting off in your hometown and you're seeing a lot of success, then, you know, replicate what you did in your hometown somewhere else. You know, like, you know, if you're from Birmingham, yeah. I'll use a great example. If you're from Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I'm from, that's why I'm using that example. Um, you know, sure. and you become a big artist in Birmingham. Okay. We'll do all of those same things in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, find that promoter, open up for that show, pass out mm-hmm. those flyers, the real grind and, you know, the, the real ground and pound. 
Um, and if you can start yeah. to build it, you know, you, you, you just, you really keep building it. And at some point you'll, you know, if you do all the things, if you do everything right and you're putting out quality music, then you're going to create a demand and, and mm -hmm. it, it'll, it'll end up on someone's radar, you know, because agents and managers and labels and, um, uh, all the such, you know, we, we scour what's new and cool and we want to know who's drawing tickets in the, in these towns. So, yeah. um, that's what I would say is replicate what mm -hmm. you've done in your hometown, keep building it. And at some point you'll be able to hire someone that it's like their, their expertise, yeah. you know? Yeah. When do you suppose, uh, that's great advice and, and I, it's super practical and I, and, uh, I appreciate you laid it out that way. And that's, that's great. Um, you know, I'm curious, uh, how can artists go about, uh, finding an agent, you know, like I, I'm from, um, I got my music career started in Minneapolis and, uh, theoretically a great music town. Um, but you know, it's felt like an Island. I, so many times, uh, all my friends bands, you know, uh, they were drawn hundreds, if not, you know, thousand, 1500 tickets, uh, and selling tickets to their shows headlining, you know, first Ave main room, all this stuff. And they, they couldn't sell tickets outside, but they also couldn't get any industry recognition because it felt like an Island. And, and, um, you know, I, I ran into this too. Um, you know, um, years ago, it's kind of like, all right, can, can sell 800 tickets, uh, can't get a, a response, uh, to save my life or can't, I don't even know where to begin. Um, and so what do you, I guess, what, what is the steps? What do you recommend? I guess, uh, for an artist, when are they ready for a booking agent one? And if they think they're ready, how do they go about finding one? And, and let's use you directly. Let's say, you know, someone is resonating like, man, Daniel would be such a great booking agent for me. Um, like how, when, when is the right time for them to approach you? How do they approach you? How do you want to be approached? Um, and how does this work? Talk to an artist in, in Birmingham or wherever that they think they're ready for an agent. How do they get an agent? So, um, it's kind of, there's kind of multiple answers to this because you might be in a spot as an artist where, um, you know, you, you are starting to see the, uh, return on investment in your hometown. You want to start to go other places. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't, you may not have any interest from like a record label or a manager yet, but maybe you're drawing tickets, yeah. right? That's where I would say, just reach yeah. out to them. You know, some, yes, like a lot of them won't respond, of course, but like, sure. I usually say the number one mistake that people make when they reach out to agents is, you gotta, you have, you just have to remember that agents are really, really busy, just like everyone else. And yeah. if you send them yeah. a book to read, you know, over email, and they're in, they're in the gauntlet zone of like grinding and like a, a long day or on a conference call, you just have to think about it from their perspective. Mm -hmm. Some of the best emails I've ever seen have been like, "Hey Daniel, uh, I love your roster. Um, we sound a lot like grandson." Uh, we just sold out our hometown. Here's our upcoming demo. That's not released yet. Like, I don't really need to know that yeah. much more from the jump, you know? Um, and if, if I listen to it and I want to know more, I'll ask. So that's, that's one thing I'd like, you know, I think is, is keeping it precise with, with agents and that goes for finding mm -hmm. a label and a manager, etc. But I think, um, I think it's definitely one of those things too, where like, Again, though, if you have a manager, 
and you're starting to be worth tickets, usually the manager can, you know, if they have relationships, the manager will help, you know, hold your hand to get an, get the right agent. Um, sure. But yeah, I would just say like create demand for yourself and then, and then be strategic yeah. when you reach out, you know, um, you just have to think about, you know, uh, agents, managers, A&Rs, attorneys, they're all humans. So like if you send them, a, you know, yeah. an email at 2 a.m. in the morning, they may not, it might get lost because they woke up and they had, you know, yeah. people that make them money emailing them. Right. So that's another yeah. thing is just like think about timing. Think about what you're going to put in the email, be precise, create demand for yourself. Yeah. And again, agents we're, you know, it's our job to have our ears to the ground. So like, you know, we're going to be yeah. scouring, we're going to be looking. And, and if you create demand for yourself, it'll, it'll end up on someone's radar. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. Um, yeah. And that's, that's super practical, uh, advice. Um, you know, I, I want to just touch on briefly, um, because you're also the founder of Outlast Records. Um, you know, you're not only a booking agent, uh, not only kind of the founder of this, uh, um, the Continuous Foundation that we discussed at the top of the show. Uh, talk to me about Outlast briefly and kind of why you started it, uh, what the mission is here and uh, what kind of artists uh, you're looking for, if you are, on kind of uh, how you're building this this label. Yeah, I mean, look, um, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I I think like I yeah. I the label kind of um, complements the agent stuff and vice versa. So it's it's enough inside yeah. my circle that um, it, it's not that much extra work. It's 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 really more about like if if I find something I really like at the developmental level at the developmental level, mm -hmm. um, we usually talk yeah. about it for Outlast because. Um, Outlast hasn't signed anything like previously established, really. Um, it's been very ground floor, you know, like yeah. my, my agent roster, I would be much more prone to like wait until they're worth a couple hundred tickets before I'm signing it. The label is, the label is meant sure. to be a developmental outlet. So it's stuff that I really, really believe in from a small level. Um, yeah. and yeah, it's, um, we're under Sumerian music group, which is Sumerian records. And, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I have the freedom to, to sign stuff to that and it's a lot of fun, you know, it definitely is like a total grind. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of work, um, in terms of cool. like, you know, again, yeah. it's still inside my circle of what I do, but like, you know, I think the, where the, where the, where it really gets tough is, um, you know, managing expectations too, with some of the artists that are, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, you know. I'm not a magician, you know, I, I, I'm, I would like to consider myself yeah. a good agent. And, um, and I think I've set our artists mm -hmm. that are signed to the label up for success, but there's so many things that the artist has to do also to break. So, um, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's tough, but I'm, I'm having fun doing it and it kind of scratches my creative itch of being in a band, I think for me to be able to kind of A and R the songs and the creative. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Well, Daniel, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Um, thank you for being so candid with everything. Um, for uh, I know everyone listening to this has really appreciated your transparency, um, your all the practical advice that you gave. I know, um, you know, people have really appreciated that. Um, 
I have one final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Cool. Well, uh, again, thank dude, thank you for having me. Um, uh, anyone that that talks the mental health gospel is is a is a friend of mine for sure. So thank you. Um, you know, uh, I think that having a career and um, you know being able to develop artists that you're really passionate about and get them to the arena level and the stadium level, um, you know, that's my ultimate yeah. goal, right? Is to have a clientele of you know, um, a certain amount of artists that can, you know, go play the Rose Bowl or, you know, um, play, you know, be big enough for baseball stadiums and, but also like maintaining happiness mm -hmm. at the same time and, and maintaining, um, you know, work life balance in some capacity, at least to the best of our ability. Um, and, you know, keeping yep. my brain healthy. I think, um, there's so many good aspects of the music industry to be in, you know, the record industry is thriving. The touring industry is thriving. Publishing is thriving. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess my, my answer is, you know, to be able to have a career represent artists that I really, really am passionate about and believe in on a big level. Um, and, you know, also at the same time, be a good, good person. Daniel McCartney, thank you so much. This is great. Thanks, buddy. Today's episode was edited by Mikey Evans with music by Grassroots District and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com